When you uh, reflect on why Western democracies are really having a hard time, in fact, very difficult time, dealing with modern-day enemies of the hijacking and terrorist variety, the answer is really very simple. Today's enemy does not wear an army uniform. Today's enemy does not use conventional weapons. Today's enemy are able to mingle within society very easily, undetected. And they operate, of course, secretly. Uh, They share the same neighborhoods and the same transportation systems that we use, and yet they are totally committed to their mission of destruction. They have no fear of judgment or punishment or even the death penalty because they want to die for their cause. And the only way to avoid their disastrous results is to neutralize and foil their plots before they take place. Alertness is the secret to foiling the plots of the enemy. In a similar way, modern-day apostates, they may be wearing clerical garbs. They may preach from big churches. Uh, They use the Christian language. They infiltrate the church. Uh, They act a role so well as to not being detected for who they are, spiritual terrorists, until the damage is done. We've seen it in Christian schools, how they were taken over. We've seen it in whole denominations. We see it in churches. It happens, and slowly but surely, because apostates are not easily identified. But just as detectives and just as intelligent officers and individuals are to be alert to foil these plots, Jude is telling the believers they are too need to be alert so as to foil and neutralize these plots before they take place, is to be discerning and expose these spiritual terrorists. Now, terrorists have physical destruction and destruction of life. Uh, False teachers and false preachers and apostates within the church, they cause a lot of spiritual damage in the church. Jude, in fact, is aware that these people are far more dangerous than atheists and agnostics and non-believers and those who are the enemies of Christ in the open than the enemies of believers. Somebody said the devil is no longer fighting the church, he's joining it. Today we're going to look at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, four verses. Jude gives us three clues as to identify these spiritual terrorists. But before he does that, he describes the damage that they do. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. He said, In the same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, rejecting authority, and slander celestial beings. He said, These dreamers who pollute the witness of the church... They neutralize the power of Christ from working in the church. They lower biblical standards in the church. They dilute 
the authority of the Word of God. They create a cult of people who worship them, not Jesus. Uh, They create a cult of people who follow their words, not the Scripture. They create followers of their own philosophies and not the Redeemer. They create cults of people who believe in themselves and in the gospel of positive thinking, not the Savior. They rock their congregations to sleep and get comfortable in their sin. Instead of being alert and sober and daily being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Terrorists are dreamers too. If you figure out there are hundreds of churches on a regular basis in Europe are turning into mosques. So you say they're making some headway. And who are the dreamers in the church? The dreamers in the church are those who preach salvation without the Savior. Those who preach redemption without the cross. Those who preach peace without repentance. Those who preach happiness without holiness. Those who preach unity without Christ. Those who preach a relationship with a God who is not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe that everybody, regardless of what God they worship, are going to make it to heaven. They're the dreamers of today. Their false belief is going to take many people all the way into eternity in hell, and that's why it makes it heartbreaking. Here's the truth. Listen carefully. I believe with all my heart the Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to forgive everyone who would turn to Him. I dare even say that He is anxious to receive everyone and forgive the sin of everyone who would truly repent of their sin and believe in Him. But these apostates, instead of preaching repentance, they justify, they rationalize, and they license people to sin. They lull them into thinking that as long as they fill their churches with their presence, as long as they fill their minds with their books, they are okay. They don't openly deny the authority of the Scripture, but they never preach the authority of the Scripture. And that's what the authority that Jude is talking about here. They deny the existence of Satan. The archangel Michael, he goes on the next verse to tell us, not only believed in the existence of Satan, he acknowledged that Satan is a powerful spiritual being that you should not trifle with. He's going to show us right here. Listen carefully. You see, Satan's primary effort is to take the attention of believers from worshiping the one true God to worshiping idols, whatever they may be. So many people today worship rituals, worship images, worship styles of music instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude is saying here, look at it in the text, when Moses died, God wanted to be sure that the next generation, that the subsequent generations and not going to fall into the idolatry of worshiping the shrine of Moses. That was a deliberate act. That is why today we don't know where Moses is buried. Satan wanted the opposite. He wanted everybody to know where Moses is buried, because he wanted those subsequent generations to worship Moses and not Yahweh. And so, in the heavenly realm, there was a dispute between the archangel Michael, who is the angel authorized by God to protect God's people, and Satan. And here's the point that Jude is making. Instead of the archangel using his authority to demolish Satan or stop him, he said to him, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
Now, this is very significant. Listen carefully. Here's verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring slanderous accusation against him. He said, the Lord rebuke you. I want you to hear me right. This is important, believers. While we as believers share in the authority of Jesus Christ that He gave to us, don't ever feel free to practice that authority against Satan with your own strength. You're going to get clobbered every time. In my book, Know Your Real Enemy, where I describe Satan's activities and operations, I make it very clear that our victory over Satan are only possible when we stand behind our commander-in-chief. Why? Because Satan is a spiritual being, and you are not. That is why Paul said, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It is with the heavenly being. These are celestial beings, and he loves to get you away from your commander-in-chief. And so, as he gets you away from walking with the Lord, he starts munching on you. I've been there. I know what that is like. And Jude is saying, stay behind your commander-in-chief. If the archangel Michael let the Lord deal with Satan and defeat him, who are we that we think that we can handle him with our own strength? Beloved, those who deny the existence of Satan, those who minimize the power of Satan, those who ignore the craftiness and the deceitfulness of Satan, they fall into a trap of being deceived by Satan. Only those who fear the Lord are not afraid of Satan. Only those who fear the Lord, only those who walk with the Lord, only those whose strength comes from the Lord are up to and awake up to Satan's deception. And that is why the Apostle Paul said of his devices or of his tricks uh, or of his deception, (laughs) we are not ignorant. Why? Because when you walk with the Lord, when you're intimacy with God moment by moment, He's going to make you alert. He's going to make you aware of His deception. How do you recognize the deception of Satan through the apostates? Three clues. They're all right there. The first clue. He says, don't fall in the do-it-your-way religion. Clue number two. Do not get involved in follow your feelings religion. Clue number three, don't get into the feed your ego religion. You think he was writing to us in these last days? I mean, he was. (laughs) These are prophetic words, and we are experiencing them right today. We're seeing them before our own eyes. And yet, the illustrations he gave us are all from the Scripture. Let's look at them together. First clue, the do-it-yourself religion. The word humanitarian is a big buzzword in our culture today, right? I mean, it is the biggest thing today. Humanitarian of the year, humanitarian of the months, humanitarian of the day, humanitarian of the hour. I mean, humanitarians are everywhere. I know, I know some of you are saying, well, Michael, are you against humanitarianism? I'm not. I'm not against humanitarianism. But listen to me. (laughs) This is what I want you to hear. 
all humanitarian work began by Christians. All of it. The hospital movement began by Christians. The library movement began by Christians. The feeding of the hungry, the, the taking care of the sick and the orphans and the widows, they were all started by Christians in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ in returning of His love for them and His redemption. They served Him by serving others. Ah, but listen to me. <laughs> like everything else, it got hijacked by Satan. Satan hijacked this one thing that believers do that is magnifying their witness and they're bringing people to Christ. What can I do, says Satan, in order to take that away from the Christians? What can I do? Ah, I'm going to tell them that this is how they can get their salvation. I'm going to tell them this is how they can make it to heaven. I'm going to tell them and keep them busy doing it so they can get brownie points with God. I'm going to tell them this is how they can ease their conscience and their, their, that's burning within them. This is how I'm going to pacify their desire, longing in their hearts to be accepted by God. So he hijacked something that's specifically Christian. Beloved, not every book in a Christian bookstore is a Christian book. Not every book in a Christian bookstore is biblical. Be very aware. You see, God insisted there's only one way of being accepted by the Father, and that is coming to Him through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. One way. That's it. One way. And then in obedience and in love that we're serving the Lord by serving others. Ah, but the average humanitarian falls in the trap of thinking otherwise. And beloved, that is precisely the religion of Cain. <laughs> That's what Jude is talking about. He said, that's the way of Cain. Remember this, Mama Eve and Papa Adam <laughs> were told by God that the fig leaves cannot cover the sin of disobedience. And God said, there's only one way through the shed blood of an innocent lamb. And He did this right in front of them. See, they learned that from God Himself. This is God's way. Theirs was fig leaves. God's was shedding an, the blood of an innocent lamb. Eve and Adam taught that lesson to their children. This is God's way. And Abel, one of the two boys, Abel said, Mom and Dad, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to do what God said to you to do. Uh, Mom and Dad, I'm going to do what God taught you to do. Uh, now, whether he liked it or not, and whether he agreed with it or not, whether he understood it even or not, it didn't matter. He said, I'm going to do it your way, God's way. And he offered God a lamb. Shed the blood of an innocent lamb because that is a picture of what will take place thousands of years later. That is the most innocent lamb of all, the lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. Ah, but then came Brother Cain. <laughs> Brother Cain said, you know what? I think mom and dad's religion is outmoded. Mom and dad's religion is old-fashioned. Mom and dad's religion is not hip. Uh, mom and dad's religion is not moving with the times. You've got to move with the times. Uh, you know, mom and dad's religion is not relevant for today. I'm going to come to God my way, and I think mine is better than God's. 
I'm going to be accepted by God my way, not His. I'm going to worship God my way, not His. I'm going to please God the way I think He should be pleased, not the way He said He's going to be pleased. I'm going to do it my way. See, Cain is the one who really wrote the lyrics for Frank Sinatra. (laughs) Did you know that? I did it. No. (laughs) And so, Cain decided that he's going to give God, offer God grains. Grains and fruit from the field. Now you say, well, 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 that's the way of Cain that he's talking about here, verse 11. I am absolutely sure that society and many church-going people said, Michael, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? He's a good guy. Man, he works hard. He was, he, he, he was being creative in his thinking. I mean, he's a humanitarian, isn't he? I mean, he is a philanthropist. He's doing his best. Why, why are you down on him? I'm not. I'm not. God is. <laughs> not me. You see, it doesn't matter what I think. Oh, but it does matter what God thinks. You see, in our modern culture, I'm sure somebody would have said, well, you know, he may be squeamish about blood. You've got to really be understanding here, Michael. Uh, he may be a vegan. <laughs> he may be the founder of the first PETA, you know, the protection of animals group. You know, he's the founder of that group. He's trying to protect the animals. Listen, don't shoot the messenger. I don't make the rules. God does. And God said, heaven will only receive those who did it God's way, not their way. That's the bottom line of the Christian faith. Thousands of years later, Hebrews 11.4 said, By faith, Abel. It takes faith to do it God's way. It doesn't take faith to do it your way. It takes pride. It takes arrogance. It doesn't take faith. God said, It doesn't matter how good a person may be. It doesn't matter how hard they'll try. It doesn't matter how sincere they may be. It is obedience, not sacrifice, that God is looking for. And this is not just New Testament. This is exactly what the prophet Samuel said to King Saul when he thought that he can get on God's side by offering him few sacrifices. He said, no, king, you got it wrong. It is obedience that God is looking for, not just sacrifice. Sometimes sacrifice comes out of obedience, but not the other way around. But Cain rejected the substitutionary atonement. Cain was too proud to acknowledge his need for redemption. Cain was too proud to do it God's way. You know, positive preachers who tell people that you can get it all, and all you need to do is just think positively, and they preach in Cain's way. That's Cain's way. Self-salvation, self-redemption, the self-pulling by your bootstraps. They're all Cain's way. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being positive. I'm a positive guy. I really am. I'm very positive. And it's not because I try harder. It's because I know I'm loved by the Lord, I'm redeemed by the Lord, and I'm on my way to heaven to be with the Lord. Hey, what else is going to get me negative? Nothing. Amen. 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 You see, the problem comes when positive thinking negates the need for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's really the bottom line. First clue 
Stay away from do-it-your-way religion. Second clue, stay away from the following feelings religion. In fact, the example that Jude gives us here is that of Balaam. Who is this Balaam character? Well, I'm going to tell you all about him. Are you ready for a story? Here's a story. (laughs) When the people of God came out of Egypt, before they got into the Promised Land, they passed a bunch of other kingdoms. Well, they came to that kingdom of Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. And the Moabites actually lived right across the River Jordan uh, from Jericho, the town of Jericho. And they had a bad king (laughs) by the name of Balak. King Balak was intimidated by the Israelites, and he wanted to either control them or destroy them. That's how the devil wants, because he's intimidated by you when you walk with the Lord. And he will try everything possible to get you down. He will try everything possible to neutralize your power that you have in Christ and with Christ when you are intimate with Christ. He will do everything possible. And this guy, he heard about the God of power and might. He heard about the God who parted the Red Sea. He heard about the God who provided the man. And he said, I don't want these people to walk into my I'm intimidated by them. So he found him a pagan prophet by the name of Balaam. And he said to Balaam, obviously this man is doing satanic stuff, sorcery and divination and all that stuff. And so he said to him, he said, come over, I'll give you 50,000 bucks if you come in there and curse the people of God. Oh, Balaam really scratched his head, man. He said, money's good, but I can't do it. Why? God is protecting them. Even the devil knows when God is protecting you. Did you thank God this morning for protecting you? Did you give Him praise for watching over you? Often take that for granted. Well, the money looked good, and, and the king, in his mind, he said, you know, I've got to up the ante. The guy just wants more money. It's all he wants. I give him more money. $100,000. It's not working. Can't do it. It's impossible. Well, he's holding out for more money. Let me give you half a million dollars. How about that? Well, the guy looks at that money and scratches his head. I said, man, the money looks so good. (laughs) I like to do it somehow. In these recession times, that's a lot of money. By the way, these numbers are not in the Bible. I'm just making them up. (laughs) It's like, You know, blowing it so you can see it. Can't do it, but I'll try to do it because of the money. Be careful when bad money looks good to you. Be very careful. So on his way to cursing God's people against what he knew he couldn't do, there was an angel who came in the way and blocked him and his donkey. He keeps beating on his donkey, and the donkey couldn't move. He keeps beating on that donkey, and the donkey wouldn't move. The angel stopping him from going in there cursing the people of God. And finally, because of the money blinded his eyes, but not the donkey's eyes, the donkey spoke. He said, can't you see the angel? (laughs) What angel? (laughs) Man, be very, very cautious lest a donkey rebukes you. (laughs) Finally, When Balaam just could not do it for all the tea in China, he devised a satanic trick, what I call it, satanic 101. You know, I told you Paul said of his devices, we are not ignorant. I wish I could say that we, the believers, can say that. Because of his devices, we are often very ignorant. 
He said, I know what I can do with these guys if I can't curse them. He came to the king and said, I got a plan. Let's have a party. <laughs> Just like they do in the fraternity houses, animal house, you know. Lots of booze, lots of loose Moabite women. Yikes. That is satanic 101. When all else fails in breaking up of your marriage, Satan will try to bring somebody else into the picture. Somebody else that's more attractive than your spouse. Somebody else a little more sophisticated than your spouse. Somebody else who has put all together than your spouse. Someone who's debonair and looks good. And guess what? That trick worked. It worked. Sadly, it works with God's children too. Clue number one, be careful of do-it-yourself religion. Clue number two, be careful of my feelings religion. And thirdly, be careful of feeding of your ego religion. Oh, that's a dangerous one. But that is preached very commonly in America today. And then he gives us a third example again from the Scripture. Story time again. He tells us about a man by the name of Korah. Now, another obscure figure in the Bible. Many of you might not have known who Korah is, so I want to give you the whole story. Korah was actually Moses' cousin. He's a Levite who had a sick ego. Korah must have been a charismatic guy. He must have been intelligent and talented. He must be, was very, very popular, and he believed his own publicity. He did not think Moses was a leader that's worth a flip, and he made it known. Korah thought to himself, man, I'll make a superior leader to Moses. You say, Michael, how do you know that Korah was all these things? Well, he had a lot of followers, and you don't get followers if you're a dum-dum. This guy was not a dum-dum. He was a smart guy. I am a better leader than Moses. I am more qualified than Moses. I have better strategy than Moses. I would have got them over there by now. Man, he doesn't know what he's doing. He may be right. He just had one little problem. (laughs) God did not call him. He called stuttering Moses. Don't ask me. I don't make the rules, right? He did not choose brilliant Korah. And Korah's rebellion against Moses' authority which is given to him by God. He didn't want to do it. You know how reluctant he was? Caused a disaster to the community. When you go home and read the book of Numbers 16, I want you to notice specifically Moses' reaction to Korah's plot. He said, let's go and have it out in the open. You and I, one-on-one. No, no. Come on, I'm going to expose you to the community. I'm going to tell about the things I know. No, 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 no. I know some things about... No, 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 no. That's not how he did it. Verse 30 of chapter 16 in the book of Numbers, it says, Moses went on his face before the Lord. Beloved, listen to me. That is the best place to go when people falsely accuse you when people deliberately oppose you, when people selfishly use you, just go to the Lord. His vengeance is much better than yours. Oh, it might be slower. 
<laughs> but you know, the good news is when you live long enough, you've seen it. You've seen it before. And you know that God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let him handle it. Let him handle it. What did God do? Not only that the ground opened and swallowed Korah and 240 others, but there were 14,700 of the Israelites who were killed because of a plague that came as a result of Korah's rebellion. God is patient. I used to get impatient with God, but now I'm so thankful for His patience. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. And God will wait and wait and wait. Why? He wants to give people an opportunity to repent. He wants to give them an opportunity to turn to Him. He wants to give them an opportunity to turn from their apostasy. But don't ever forget that God is a just God. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.